This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in, everybody, to the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown, Florence247.com, joined by my colleague, my cohort, my partner in crime, the one and only Eric Henry. E. Henry, how you doing? It is another day in paradise, CB. You talked about all those things and a one-time roommate for about 36 or so hours. So we got all of those things under our belt. But man, I am doing all right. Looking forward to a another excellent podcast with you, CB, and talking a little Longhorn football. Yeah, we'll get to uh, Texas Baylor here in a minute, but I don't know that we told our uh, our loyal listeners about our our roommate situation. So we went to the Alabama game. Excuse me, and we stayed with a friend. Well, we stayed at a friend of mine's house. Shout out to. Um, Russia. She's a champ. Um, and so we stayed at her house in Birmingham. And Eric, did you learn anything about me that uh, I should be embarrassed by? <laughs> Let me ask you a question, Chip. Have you talked to the the lovely uh, and talented former co-host of this podcast, Miss Taylor Estes, by any chance? No. You, you have not. Oh, OK. All right. So that was just off the cuff there. OK. Um, anything that you should know, anything you should be embarrassed about. I, I will say this for our listeners. This is one of the things that I've learned about my esteemed colleague, one Chip Brown. And uh, it, it's one of the like greatest things about him. But it, it, it was also very interesting to observe firsthand. So Chip has the youthful energy of a 21 year old. That is unquestioned. CB is young at heart, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Um, Chip made a run, as he mentioned. We we're staying at his friend's townhome, so he's like, "Hey, we're gonna, you know, grab a couple things, you know, save a couple bucks." And I've learned that Chip does indeed shop like a college junior, and that is okay because, listen, I am not a man of esteemed tastes. I can, you know, just roll with anything. But Chip Brown came back with like snacks and, you know, travel Cheerios. And I was like, man, this is how Chip Brown is young at heart because this man could fit in right now on the 40 acres in the dorms. Yeah, that was a mistake. I went shopping when I was hungry. I bought stuff that had no chance of being eaten while we were there. So we ended up leaving a lot of, uh, a lot of food for my for my friend Russia, but um, yeah, I mean, look, Spectrum was on the on the Fritz, so we were watching games on our laptops. In uh, like we were sitting on the on the couch with two laptops in front of us, trying to take it all in. We were watching Kansas Illinois. Kansas looked fast, which. You know, we need to add a segment to our flagship podcast. I'm going to, you know what, on the fly, I'm going to surprise you a little bit later before we get to take it or leave it, Eric. But let's get into Texas, Texas. We had a chance to talk to Steve Sarkeesian, the players. Um, I know people have been texting me about Steve Sarkeesian shooting down my question about the passing game about if Quinn Ewers is looking in the right places going through his progression because it looked like he had some underneath stuff open when he was throwing you know in that 10 to 19 range but which he did not fare very successfully 
um, in this past game against Wyoming. But Eric, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, if we break down where the passing game went wrong against Wyoming, it, it starts to make a little more sense than what the hell was Quinn Ewers doing? He was smoking a cigar. Then he's, you know, he's uh, holding a players only meeting on Tuesday. And then he's coming out and stinking up the, the joint against Wyoming in the passing game. And it was kind of a weird game because Wyoming did come out in a different defense, the three, eight cloud that John Haycock at Iowa state has made uh, sort of a, a revolutionary thing. Um, and, and Quinn has struggled against that defense. He did struggle against Iowa state against Oklahoma state last year. Um, but then you look at the fact that, uh, Steve Sarkeesian took the blame for throwing into the end zone to JT Sanders against that three, eight cloud when Sanders was covered. Well, one of those passes should have been intercepted. So Sarkeesian admitting, okay, shouldn't have done that. Then there was a, a drive that was killed by two drops on back-to-back plays by John Tate Cook and um, Jordan Whittington. And then there was a drive that was killed by DJ Campbell looking inside when he should have been looking outside because the guy's name was Sebastian Harsh, for God's sake. Eric, if there's a guy lined up across from you named Harsh, I got to keep an eye on that guy. He ends up going right past DJ Campbell for a 10-yard sack on third down. That kills a drive. And then there was a 10-minute drive by Wyoming in the third quarter that kept Texas from having the ball for any considerable time. Um, What's your level of concern about the Texas passing game coming out of this Wyoming um, game in which it was tied 10 to 10 going into the fourth quarter? On a scale of one to 10, I'm going to put it around a five. I'm not majorly concerned, although I do think Chip, as you you know, so astutely noted, the the 3A defense. And for listeners who may not know, um, you know, 3A is just it just sounds like you know, if you had a 3-4, right? It's the same concept where that cloud, what Chip is talking about, is uh it's almost eight in the box. It's not quite eight in the box, but that secondary, they kind of crowd that box area, right? So that's where that that three eight cloud comes from. Uh, I actually remember that from my old playing days. Uh, we had a defensive coordinator who, who would try to run uh, some uh, some variations of that. So just for, for context, but a chip, I, I I'm a firm believer in this, and I'm curious where you fall on this. I asked Jalen Ford, while obviously not an offensive guy, I asked him. He was the last person we spoke to, and you know, player availability. And I asked him if there's a sense of relief almost that you're entering big 12 play because you're not in non-conference anymore and you're not, you know, facing things or facing teams and players that you have no familiarity with. And Jalen did say, you know, yeah, to an extent, you know, it, it, the, the prep is a little bit easier because you've faced these players before you faced these teams before you're not necessarily chasing ghosts, right? Things that, you know, you, you're seeing, you're trying to recall what you've seen on film and, and it's not a team you're familiar with. I do think Yes, Steve Sarkeesian did take some of the blame in terms of the passing game, and, and I think that's that's very fair. Um, also, Quinn, you know, uh, and and Chip, I, I like edgy Quinn. You know, I like when we get edgy Quinn uh, on player availability because that always feels to me like that's a guy who kind of gets himself fired up and is and is you know you're probably gonna get a bounce back game from him. But I, I asked him something that he mentioned at Big Twelve Media Days, which is you can't go broke taking a profit, right? Essentially, hey, you know, if there's the underneath throw there, you know, worry about that instead of the big play. And, and Quinn kind of said, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's as it sounds, you know, you can't go broke taking a profit, right? Um, but I, in terms of my level of concern with the passing game, we've seen big plays from them, right? I, I do think once you enter big 12 play, there is a measure of, of familiarity and you, you know what you're game planning against. And you're not going to face like a Wyoming who, whether it's the 3-8 defense or whether it's, them throwing out the backup quarterback for a, you know an unexpected start, which I'm sure we'll get to uh, in a bit, or getting a, a running back that hasn't seen time all year, right? You're not going to encounter those things that maybe you know kind of throw you off. And and Steve Sarkeesian talked about that with his team. Part of that is 
trusting their training, right? Like if they haven't seen something before, trust the training and fundamentals that the coaches have instilled in them. And, and then those things will kind of take over as opposed to, you know, kind of being so in awe of what you're maybe you're seeing uh, that you didn't necessarily expect from the other side. So it, all in all, Chip, I, I'd say my, my you know, concerns of five, when you have weapons like JT and AD and Xavier uh, Worthy and Jay Witt and others, uh, that's going to get clicking eventually. And we've seen it so far this year. If we hadn't seen it, I'd feel differently, but we have seen it. Yeah, I mean, we came into the year wondering if they were going to be able to run the ball. And the running game starting to come together. They had the seven-minute 14 uh, drive to end the game against Alabama. And then against Wyoming, Sarkeesian, the light bulb went on. He stopped throwing uh, deep and and started taking the underneath stuff. What what we forget is at the end of the first quarter into the second quarter, Texas had a 17-play drive in which Quinn Ewers was 6 of 6 passing for 39 yards. It was just – Dink and dunk, dink and dunk, and which is what the defense was giving you. And that ended up with the Byron Murphy one-yard touchdown pass from Quinn Ewers. And, and then you had the sort of comedy of errors after that. The drops by by uh, Jonte Cook and Jordan Whittington, the um, you know, the protection bust by DJ Campbell and uh, Quinn only completed. He only threw one pass in the fourth quarter. He completed it. It was the 44 yard. It was basically a throw down the line of scrimmage to worthy who did the rest for 44 yards, catch and run touchdown um, started that 21 0 run for Texas. I look at that and I say, okay, they can figure this out. I'm more you know, excited about the running game and Jonathan Brooks breaking through with a big fourth quarter against a tough nosed Wyoming defense because Baylor is not stopping the run. At least they haven't the first three games of the season. And, and so let's see, Texas has kind of been throwing on first down and you wrote about this, Eric, um, the kind of breaking down where the Texas offense is and, you know, what's your sense of Steve Sarkeesian's comfort level right now about, you know, the balance between run and pass and when. The big thing in my mind, Chip, and as you talked about, I appreciate the plug. I did write about it back to back days in terms of, uh, a, the run-pass balance, which historically Steve Sarkeesian has been a 50-50 guy or has tried to be as close to 50-50 as possible in terms of you know the run-pass balance. He's pretty much right there when you take out some of the runs that happened when games were you know out of reach uh, more than 17 points ahead. He's pretty much right there at 51.8% run, 49.2% uh, pass, right? So it very much balanced. What I find interesting, Chip, and I wrote about this today, is – Steve Sarkeesian talked about his Monday availability needing to be better in early down situations, right? Because Texas right now, they're 89th in the nation and third down percentage, third down conversion percentage. Um, I don't have the number exactly. I think it's something like 39%, but they're 89th in the nation or tied for 89th, I believe. Uh, that, you know, something that isn't on the surface alarming, except for the fact that in early down situations, Chip, they've been just boom or bust, meaning they've had successful plays. I think they've had something like 15 or 16 plays of over 15 yards on first and or second down. Right. But the issue is when you're trying to stay on schedule, you can't have the plays where you're passing and it goes incomplete or you're running and you're not gaining any yardage. You know, they've had 10 first down runs this year that haven't achieved at least three yards. They've had four first down runs that have achieved zero yards or negative yardage. And they've had 13 pass plays that have gone incomplete. So they're automatically behind the chains. You know, you go on second down and, and 10 or second uh, even further than that, right? So that's my, my big concerns. I'm going to transition into what you just talked about, which was the run game. But my big concern is them staying on schedule, right? So maybe, maybe now that Jonathan Brooks has had a breakout game, he's shown that he can take 20, 25 carries. I think he had, what, uh, 27, I, I believe, uh, the other – not against Wyoming, 
maybe that gives you a little bit more confidence in saying, hey, we're just going to run it on first down, right? Because even if you get two or three, that keeps you on schedule, Chip, and you know this so much more than it does a second and 10, second and 11, second and 12, right? For as talented uh, the guys, you know, in terms of skill positions that Texas has, you can't have the amount of third and longs. They've had 11 third and longs this year. have only converted one, right? So that just goes to show you how hard it is to convert when you're in those situations. If you're in a third and medium, that opens up the playbook, even a third and seven, you know, you're on the edge of that medium. That opens up the playbook so much more for a creative play caller like Steve Sarkeesian to do some things. But when you're in that third and nine, 10, 11 plus, the defense, it's just much easier to play. So uh, in my mind, that is kind of where I'm keeping an eye on in terms of the run game. And, you know, I know we'll talk about it a little bit later and take it or leave it. But with Jonathan Brooks, now that he's kind of, you know, I, I think for him, a game like that really kind of gives him a boost in confidence to show that he can do it and, and be that lead dog, that lead back, at least for a game or at least for the last five quarters. Maybe that gives Steve Sarkeesian a little bit more confidence to come out and run it consistently on first down. Yeah, and you uh, you brought up the third down conversion rate. Texas is at uh, 37.8%. That is 10th um, in the Big 12. Not, uh, not great. By contrast, Oklahoma is converting 67% of its third downs, uh, 25 of 37. Kansas is converting... Uh, 62% of its third downs and central Florida, your UCF Knights who are my upset pick of the, of the year. I came into the season saying central Florida would beat K state in Manhattan and I'm sticking to it. Even, even with the quarterback situation, you're sticking to it. CB. Well, shoot, the kid who came in for John Rice Plumley looked pretty darn good. He's he's completing more passes, and he can run around too. Timmy McLean, the former South Florida quarterback. So, hey. Timmy CB, McLean, baby. CB has more confidence in my UCF Knights than I do. So we'll, we'll be revisit that later You're in the averaging year. 299 yards rushing per game, your UCF Knights. They're number two in the nation in rushing behind – Air Force, which, of course, runs the triple option. Gus Malzahn, guy's a genius. We'll, 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 we'll revisit it, Chip. If they do indeed beat Kansas State, we can revisit this because then maybe we might need to talk about a potential UCF Texas Conference Championship game. But that's for down the road. That's for down the road. We're focused in on the Baylor Bears, the Baylor Bears. And the more I look at the Baylor Bears, the more I like – Texas's chances. Um, A, Baylor is without quarterback Blake Shapin, who had his own issues, but was completing 67% of his passes before he went out of that Texas State game with a knee injury. And he is not going to be back for this game. So that means more Sawyer Robertson. Dave Aranda talked about how he did not go and use the transfer portal a year ago. And he's like, ah, I probably should have. Well, he went to the transfer portal for this season. And one of his uh, portal finds is Sawyer Robertson, the uh, Mississippi state transfer, who has been a turnover machine in the last uh, couple games, had a, couple of horrible interceptions against Utah that cost Baylor the game. Baylor had a 10 point lead 13 to three and ended up losing the game. Um, and then he just uh, struggled again last week, but uh, they do have Richard Reese, the, the talented running back. I don't think you're going to see Dominic Richardson, the Oklahoma state transfer. He has a high ankle sprain and I don't know what's going on with the receiver core. I thought we were going to see a lot of Monterey Baldwin. He's caught like two passes. And Keytron Jackson, the Arkansas transfer, is Baylor's leading receiver. So I don't know what to make of the Baylor offense, but the Baylor defense, Eric, is not stopping the run. And that's 
that's a surprise to me because Dave Aranda, former defensive coordinator, um, they're giving up 166 yards per game on the ground. So uh, let me double check that. But 170 yards per game on the ground, second worst in the conference to Houston, who's given up 175 yards rushing per game. So this just uh, feels like a defense that lacks playmakers, but um, this sounds like a game that Texas needs to test the run, see where that is. And we're playing at night at, at Floyd Casey State or McLean Stadium. Sorry, just jumped in the Wayback Machine there for a second. Um, McLean Stadium where they pipe in the sound like the Indianapolis Colts to make it sound like it's more than 45,000 people. Um, but Eric, I, I look at this thing and what Texas is a 14 and a half point favorite. Now the line's going up your thoughts on that ship before I, I touch on that uh, as a big 12 newcomer, um, they pump sound inside of McLean stadium. I, oh, yeah. I got it. That's yeah. So you'll know this. Because the press box in McLean Stadium is in the corner. I don't right. know what, I guess, uh, the west, northwest corner. And you can see the speakers right on the post, like outside the press box. And they'll, they'll pump some stuff in there that'll like, you'll be like, whoa, okay. Um, yeah. That is an interesting note. It reminds me, CB, a very funny, quick anecdote before I touch on Baylor, the, the COVID year 2020, which I'm sure you remember, um, the attendance requirements were, you know, done away with, right? The, the yearly attendance requirements that, you know, which doesn't affect programs at this level, but at the group of five level where I was covering, that was a welcome thing because, you know, they, they had issues. Chip, um, at some G5 schools, which I, I won't name all of them, they would very audibly be pumping in sound, right? And you would know this because there's 2,000 people there, yet it sounds like there's, you know, 15, 20,000 plus. And one school just decided at a moment's notice, we're just going to turn this off. And you heard a little bit higher than a golf clap, Chip, from the people who were annoyed. Turn that sound off. <laughs> so just anytime I hear people pumping in sound, I just can't think of that moment when it goes from, like almost a jet engine to, and then people cheer, like turn that thing off. That was annoying. Anyhow, uh, onto the bears chip. You pretty much nailed it. As far as Baylor's defense, I'm going to bring it back to the offense because we know how dominant that Texas's defense has been this year. I thought, and not that I thought that Baylor with any stretch of imagination was going to be, you know, a juggernaut offensively, not having Blake shape and certainly isn't helping things, but I think it all starts up front. Uh, I, I think one of the biggest things for Dave Aranda, we look at the amount of offensive linemen they need to replace getting the Barrington uh, brothers from BYU Campbell and Clark Barrington. Those guys were supposed to come in. Um, if a memory serves me correct, it's Campbell who um, was one of the higher rated uh, offensive linemen amongst uh, the players at that level. Um, for BYU, uh, that was supposed to kind of solidify that offensive line. But everything starts up there. If you, you can't run the ball well, again, Richard Reese, someone who's almost a thousand yard running back, uh, isn't having a ton of success. And then, of course, with a, a quarterback from Mississippi State and Sawyer Robertson, is, again, inexperience, I think, is the big thing. Um, I can't put it all on him, although, as you mentioned, he had two timely turnovers uh, the other week that kind of, you know, very much cost his team the ball game. But it, when you're looking for your backup quarterback, you just need someone to steady the ship and they don't really have that right now. But I think the big thing, it all starts up front. They just are not getting uh, enough production, in the offensive line and Texas's defensive line, which we all know can create havoc. They've more than lived up to their billing. It should be a feeding frenzy. They should be able to eat against this Baylor offensive line that quite frankly, again, having to replace some guys from last year and is still kind of finding their footing. Yeah. And, um, Campbell Barrington, the left tackle, Clark Barrington, the center for Baylor. Um, yeah, that I, I'm, I don't quite get what's going on with, with the, uh, with the Baylor offense. Like I said, I thought Monterey Baldwin would be, would be more of a factor. He's, he's caught 
two passes for 47 yards. I mean, the guy's averaging 23 and a half a catch. Something tells me I need to get the ball to Monterey Baldwin a little bit more. And, um, and so, you know, they're not doing much in terms of, you know, through the air, but um, defensively they've missed 31 tackles through three games. Uh, Okay. Well, considering Jonathan Brooks forced 10 missed tackles himself against Wyoming and has 17 for the year compared to one forced missed tackle by CJ Baxter, who's only played in uh, two games, but um, anyway, just some little nuggets there, but remember Baylor Baylor last season was so weird because they would look terrible some weeks. Then they went out to tech and beat them by 28. And remember TCU had to hustle their field goal unit on to the field and barely got the game winning field goal off before time expired. Otherwise Baylor would have knocked off TCU. So we know that, Aranda can get them fired up or get them, you know, coached up for, for big games. This is a big game. There's no doubt about it. Um, This is a game that can, you know, Baylor fans, I'm talking to Baylor fans. They're like, uh, we don't have a chance. So if they pull that off, their, their fan base is going to be like, okay, Hey, so this will be an interesting one Saturday night. Um, when it comes to Texas and some of the other nuggets that we gleaned from Steve Sarkeesian, um, on Monday, Eric, I thought, um, you know, in talking to the players, I get the feeling the defense is just supremely confident. You talked about edgy Quinn Ewers, Quinn Ewers, I agree. was edgy. Someone asked him about not turning the ball over at all this season. And he's like, you're talking about it. Like, you know, when the pitcher has a no hitter going, you don't say, Hey, you got a no hitter going. So then he was like, well, I'm just going to go out and keep trying to parentheses, not turn the ball over. But um, yeah, I mean, no, no turnovers for Quinn York. For Quinn Ewers through three games. Remember last year he threw an interception in the opener against Louisiana Monroe. He's been clean. Eric, did uh did that reporter jinx Quinn Ewers? You know what? I don't think so. And here's why. I had my own questions. Again, having not covered this team last year, one of the things that stood out to me, and I thought it was a question entering this year was could Quinn Ewers repeat last season's success in terms of you know, not throwing a ton of interceptions, right? I, I, you know, wasn't expecting to come out and throw 15 or anything like that, but I just thought naturally with the amount of playmakers uh, in terms of, you know, receiving targets, Quinn's going to throw the ball more and naturally, you know, your chances are going to go up having a pick, right? But for the most part, and yes, Quinn has thrown into double coverage a little bit. Uh, I don't have any passes that jump out in my mind as saying they should have been picked off like one that a db just clearly dropped or anything like that again he may have pushed his luck a little bit going to double coverage but i can't recall any throw that it's just like you know oh man uh that one should have been picked in in the, the, the well the one to did. jt sanders the kid dropped it did he okay okay the one why, why you know you, oh yes yeah no okay you're 100 correct uh, that i you're you nailed it Quinn threw it off his back safety. foot safety. yeah it hung in the air the kid came over the safety came over you're 100% correct. I totally forgot about that one. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't think it, it it jinxes because if anything, you look at some of the things that this offense needs to do in terms of taking the easy completions. And I think that may uh, somewhat limit the downfield chances, not to say that you're not going to throw them right. Steve Sarkeesian has been adamant. We're going to keep throwing them. Right. And now they're finally starting to hit. You got to expect they're going to keep throwing him. But I also think within that, you're going to see, uh, you know, both Quinn yours uh, choose to play within the offense and, you know, take some of those underneath things that are there. And also Steve Sarkeesian call, uh, you know, a couple more maybe 
easy throws for, you know, Quinn Ewers, things that can kind of get him in rhythm. So listen, I don't think Quinn's going to go the entire season without throwing a pick. If he does, Texas will be in great shape, right? You know, uh, the offense may never fire on full cell on, you know, all cylinders, but if Quinn doesn't throw a pick, they'll be in, in phenomenal shape. However, I, I don't necessarily see that being sustainable for the entire year. But the big thing for me is through three games, he has not thrown an interception. And that was a big question mark for me entering the year. Could he replicate last year's success? He's well on the way to doing that so far. A couple other nuggets on the list. We mentioned DJ Campbell um, and Steve Sarkeesian was asked how he's progressing. As you mentioned, Cole Hudson, the injury now, the knee injury is going to be out a month. And he said, we watch film with DJ Campbell and there are plays where you're like, okay, this is fantastic. And then there are plays where we say to him, you're better than that. So you're getting the ups and downs of a first year starter. He was fantastic against Alabama. He gave, he gave up a brutal sack in the Wyoming game. Um, you know, Baron Sorrell and David Benda, have now both had big plays and David Benda, he had the sack against Alabama and David Benda was the highest rated run defender for Texas, according to pro football focus in the Wyoming game. And you're starting to maybe wonder slash see David Benda gaining some confidence as a playmaker, kind of like Jalen Ford did after sacking Bryce young in the second quarter of the Alabama game a year ago his season took off from there um jaron thompson with the pick six and um you know jade baron sarkeesian couldn't say enough good things about him but well i'll i'll let you comment on that before we move on to the embrace the hate uh tour that texas is about to embark on of the three things you touched on there, I mean, definitely want to show Jade some love because, you know, he truly is one of the most versatile defenders, not only in the Big 12, but the entire nation. Um, just an incredible player at a position chip that is so crucial in today's, not just college football, but football in general, that nickel star corner, because there's so much that's asked of that position. Um, but the big thing that really stood out to me is DJ Campbell. And I, I'm not trying necessarily to come down on DJ, but Chip, the sack that was allowed, right? I, I saw he and Christian Jones uh, looked like after the play, kind of communicating, you know, hey, you know, what was this supposed to happen? And so on and so forth. Those are the types of miscommunications that get quarterbacks hurt. I, I, I didn't want to say it, but so let's knock on wood. You know, we don't want to see Quinn get hurt or anybody get hurt, but those are the types of things. It's not, hey, I, I got beat by my man and I give up a sack, right? It's the miscommunications where a blitzer is coming through full speed. And those are things that gets someone hurt. So I'm not putting that all on DJ, right? As we talk about his, what, third career start, he, you have to think with more playing time, things will come together. But that's just the big takeaway for me is, it, it, listen, if, if his play is seesaw, that's one thing. But the miscommunication type things where a guy comes in free those always worry me a little bit because in, in my you know career of covering, covering college football, now my, my sixth year, I've seen three that I, I thought about uh, in preparation for this podcast, three quarterbacks get hurt on either missed blitz pickups or miscommunications where a guy just comes in scotch-free and you know it happens. So knock on wood, but that's just my big takeaway with DJ. Yeah, Cole Hudson looked good to me in the time that he was in the game, both against Alabama – and against Wyoming. Um, so not having him in as a possibility for a rotation there at right guard is, um, you know, is discouraging. But you've got, you still got Nato Yumizolu, um, who can step in at left guard. You can swing Hayden Connor over. There's depth. And you need to develop DJ Campbell. There's no doubt about it because he's got, the right stuff. He just needs to know where he's looking and, and get the game still needs to slow down for him. And um, this is an important year in his development for sure. He was the number one rated interior offensive lineman in his recruiting cycle when Texas landed him in the, in the 2022 class. So 
um, you're watching the development of big number 52. Steve Sarkeesian was asked about this being the last time Texas is going to play Baylor for the foreseeable future. It brought up a question. Uh, hey, do you think it's a good idea to play some of these big 12 teams from the state of Texas in non-conference action once you get to the SEC? And Steve Sarkeesian I thought had a funny response. He said, well, you play Baylor, Texas Tech's going to be pissed. You play Texas Tech, TCU's going to be pissed. You play TCU, Houston's going to be pissed. He said, I don't really have much say over this, but, you know, if if that's what they decide, great. Uh, otherwise, it's kind of hard to to decide who to play. Let me tell you something. They're not playing anybody. They're not playing anybody from the Big 12 in non-conference action <laughs> once they get to the SEC, kids, especially if they go to a nine-game SEC schedule. So just uh, prepare for that. Tech put out some story a year ago. Hey, Texas is going to play us for the next 25. I was like, I called UT administrators, and I'm like, is there what? And they're like, no. We don't know where they're, they're like trying to bluff their way into this thing. They're like trying to get the legislature involved. Um, yeah, that's not happening, Red Raiders. So just uh, just so you know. But Chip, can, um, I you, can I ask you a quick question on that? Just yeah. As, as a newcomer to Texas, a newcomer to Big 12, um, I, I, you know, I heard the question that was asked. How much will Texas fans miss? Not, you know, the, obviously Texas A&M, right? The hardcore Oklahoma, those games are still going to continue. But the in-state games. You know, that's a good question, Eric. I've been covering the program for 30 years. For the first 10 of those years, Baylor was so bad. It was, you know, Kevin Steele and, um, you know, God rest his soul, Guy Morris. And it, and it was just a parade of coaches who just were, like, waiting to get fired. And then they – brought in our Bryles and he changed he changed everything I don't think Texas fans are going to miss playing Baylor because they looked down on Baylor so they expect they always expected to win they always expect to beat all these teams honestly Texas Tech TCU Houston I don't I think the game that they absolutely want to have back is AM. and and I don't think they're going to miss playing the big 12 Texas teams. I, I, I don't, you know, a few will, I know a lot of Texas fans who couldn't get tickets like in the first decade of the two thousands who couldn't get tickets in DKR would buy tickets to the Baylor game because there were always tickets available in Waco to go see Texas. And that's probably still the case this week. So expect to see a lot of burn orange, in McLean stadium, you know, for the people who live in and around Austin or the Dallas area who don't regularly get to see Texas, that's a, that's a game they would go get tickets for. Um, but I want to ask you about this embrace the hate because Texas, the co-op was selling t-shirts that said embrace the hate. And then they got pulled down because there was probably some political lack of correctness or something. Sure. But the players are still talking about it. Steve Sarkeesian's still talking about it. And the Embrace the Hate tour of the Big 12 starts Saturday. Um, A, is that the right way to describe it? Embrace the hate and be, you know, don't be the punching bag. Be the one that's also on the attack like John Wick, our man Quinn Ewers, always bringing up the, retired movie hitman who comes out of retirement because someone killed his, his dead wife's dog that he has killed the wrong dog, man. I'm on the attack now. Well, Chip, I will say this in terms of t-shirts, embrace the hate is much better than the game over t-shirts that were on sale. I, I made my feelings known about those. Uh, anyhow, that's water under the bridge. Yes, I, I do think it is the right approach. Here's why. You're at Texas. I mean, 
listen, how many times have I made reference to, you know, being a newcomer on these parts? There are very few things that uh, historically speaking, I can speak to as far as the program. I lean on people like you and Jeff Howe and others, but I can tell you what I do know. People don't like Texas. <laughs> people, for the polarizing. most one of the most polarizing programs in all of college football. You can't deny it. And as you are going through, as we talked about in your final run in the Big 12 before escaping for greener pastures, if I may say, in, in more ways than one in the SEC, you're going to get, if you thought the horns down was a thing in general, you're going to get it even worse this year, Chip. Uh, I'll even make reference to you talked about, you know, me being a UCF grad. I'm in group chats with some UCF fans who are like, yeah, you know, who they talk about for the most part. We're upset we're not playing Texas. Texas didn't want to play us. And I'm like, all right, I guess that's not, that's not how that works. But nevertheless, uh, you know, they spent a lot of their time talking about being in the Big 12 and wishing they could play Texas, right? That's who Texas is. You're the brand in this conference. So yeah, I do think embrace the hate is the best way to go about it. You can't act like it's not there. I don't think that's the right approach. And Steve Sarkeesian is cognizant of the fact that you can't hide it as players are going to hear it. And, you know, they can't be stunned by it. They've got to be cognizant of it. They've got to be aware of it. They've got to know it and go into it with that approach. So yes, I, I do think it is the right approach. All right. Well, everyone's going to have to come to horns247.com to get our game predictions for Texas and Baylor, but I want to do a little, uh, a little kind of rapid fire with you, Eric, about sure. games in the Big 12. Okay? Sure, let's do it. Are you buying my uh, Central Florida upset pick over K-State? You've watched your UCF Knights closer than I have. I love their running backs. Timmy McLean looks like he's up for the challenge of uh, standing in for John Rice Plumley if needed. Central Florida has speed. K-State a seven-point favorite at home at 7 o'clock on Saturday on FS1. E. Henry, what say you? I am tempted to take UCF. Here's why. John Rice Plumley is one of the most dynamic players in all of college football for, you know, listeners and viewers who may not have seen him. You talk about a kid who's a legit two-star, two-sport athlete, um, a legit athlete. I mean, you know, dual threat guy. With that, I think in my, just watching him over the past year and change at UCF, I think there's a tendency to ask too much of him. Whereas with Timmy McClain, you know, you're dealing with a backup. So it's almost as if not say you're playing defense against the quarterback, but you're not asking as much of him. And, and in which case you don't see some of the mistakes uh, that you've kind of seen. And also, you know, the, the game that uh, John Rice Plumley was hurt in those receivers, while dynamic, they did drop a couple of balls that, you know, kind of put them in bad position as Boise state. So I'm tempted to take it because I think the game plan almost becomes, becomes refined with Timmy McLean. But I think K-State, in my mind, while, yes, they're going to be down, potentially potentially down. It's early in the week. It's Tuesday. Some guys, I just think that's too tall of a task to head to K-State. So I'm not buying that one. Okay. Um, Oklahoma State, Iowa State. This is the battle of the hot garbage in the big 12 teams that have been winning and going to bowl games under coaches who've been hailed Mike Gundy, Matt Campbell, Matt Campbell almost went after an Iowa state fan for that fan telling him he was on the hot seat after losing to Ohio uh, last week. Matt Campbell's losing his mind. This game is in Ames, Iowa, Iowa state, a three point favorite at home. You going with the Fighting Campbells or the Fighting Gundies? I am going with the Fighting Gundies, Chip. Ever since the gambling scandal, whatever you want to call it, you know, started and 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 kind of you know hit its apex at Iowa State, I've been very much off the program. While yes, you know, they're uh, outside is losing Xavier Hutchinson. They were a team that returned or was slated to return a lot of starters, right? Well, we all saw, you know, how that's affected them. Most notably Hunter Decker's chip. That in my mind is 
for 18 to 23 year olds to kind of deal with something like that, that's so out of the norm. That to me is something that I think can, can torpedo your season. I would almost liken it in, in a way, Chip, to what the kids are dealing with at Northwestern, right? Like just some of that's so out of the scope of what typically basketball football players would deal with. So I, I just don't see Iowa State having much of any success this year. So uh, while both teams, as you said, are hot garbage, I'm taking the garbage that doesn't have the cloud of everything over their head, and that is Mike Gundy's Oklahoma State. Program. All right, I'm going to take the Cyclones in this one because their defense, their defense, I don't, John Haycock, people are wondering why John Haycock has stayed with Matt Campbell so long. That guy's been a maestro defensive coordinator. Okay, this game is very interesting to me. Texas Tech minus four and a half at West Virginia. I think West Virginia, I think Neil Brown has circled this game since it came out on the schedule. Since certainly since he got picked to finish last at Big 12 football media days, um, I think West Virginia covers in this game, maybe even wins. What say you, Eric Henry? Chip, what's the spread on that again? Texas Tech minus four and a half at West Virginia. I am coming off the ugly win over Pitt and Texas Tech beat up on Tarleton State. I am not taking it again while, listen, and I've said this on this podcast that I am not a Tyler Shuck guy. I mean, I've seen a lot of him. I think he just is who he is at this point in his career. I, I think Texas Tech is a, just, quite frankly, a better team than West Virginia. And I think, you know, listen, you, you get hit punch in the mouth by Wyoming. That certainly does something to you. But coming off a game like Tarleton State, where at least you kind of get your mojo back a little bit, that Zach Kitley offense gets firing. I, I I was down on West Virginia coming into this year, and I'm going to stay consistent there. So uh, I am not taking that one. Okay, BYU coming off the win at Arkansas. Impressive. At Kansas. Kansas is an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm going to take BYU to cover in this game. What say you? We're just countering each other the entire way because, listen, I, you, we watched that Kansas game together, and I'm a big – Jalen Daniels guy. Uh, if long as they're going to play four quarters of consistent football, which we saw, they almost let up, you know, that game we watched, but it, it, listen, Jalen Daniels, Devin Neal, huge fan of, uh, you know, I, I, that program. And I think that's a game that quite frankly, as I said, Kansas could go, okay, walk into DKR in a couple weeks undefeated. I think that could be a dangerous game. So give me Kansas. Cincinnati. Hosting Oklahoma, Oklahoma, a 14 point favorite. Oklahoma's played nobody. Cincinnati's been better than I thought uh, under new coach uh, Scott Satterfield. And Cincinnati has a nose tackle named Corleone, Dante Corleone. I think Cincinnati covers the 14. Eric, what do you say? I do think they cover the 14. I, I, I well, Oklahoma, again. Yeah, out to a fast start, as you mentioned. Not quite the most premier competition. I do think Cincinnati's out to prove something. You know, Cincinnati was the program that when UCF and Cincinnati, you know, left entering the Big 12, you can make the argument that Cincinnati had almost um, surpassed UCF in terms of on-field production, right? I think they're playing with a little bit of edge. I, I think they want people to realize that, hey, it, we're the team that, you know, was the head of the course, head of the class in the America in the past few years, despite the fact that UCF kind of comes in as the darlings, right, with all the uh, headlines. So I think they're playing with a bit of an edge. And I think Scott Satterfield's a good coach. I actually was a fan of his uh, prior. So I will take that. All right. Uh, let's take a quick break. But we will come back with some take it or leave it. Don't go anywhere. And if you're watching us on the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel, we will roll on. All right, Eric, it is time for Take It or Leave It. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Got your happy price, price line. All right, are you throwing the questions at me oh, no, or am I throwing them at you? Uh, I, I will throw them to you, CP. Again, I'm, I'm still getting used. It is what my my seventh flagship podcast. I should be uh, have the trading. We can go off. back and forth too. I should have the, the trading wheels off this point, but I I will throw them to you. So take it or leave it, CP. We can go back and forth. Uh, RB one should be the redshirt sophomore Jonathan Brooks. Look, I love CJ Baxter. I think his ceiling is enormous. But I thought Jonathan Brooks should have been RB1 probably from the start of the of the season just to like take a little bit of the edge off for CJ Baxter, let him watch and then come in. Um, I think Jonathan Brooks should be RB1, especially after his, you know, 21 carries for 167 yards. The 61 yard run against Wyoming was impressive. He's breaking 10 tackles in that game. He's got 17 forced missed tackles for the, for the season. That stuff matters, especially when you're having some little breakdowns here and there on the offensive line. Um, the, the running back needs to make that, you know, needs to be able to make that defender miss. I think Jonathan Brooks, just his, uh, his confidence tank just got a nice fill up right there. So, um, I do think that uh, Jonathan Brooks should be RB1. I know CJ Baxter's coming back from the foot injury. Um, but take your time with CJ Baxter. Foot injuries can linger. There, it's a 52 bones down there. It's like a puzzle. Don't, don't mess it up or don't rush it. Um, so, Eric, I'm going to say I'm going to take this that Jonathan Brooks should be RB1. How about you? I am in agreement with you, Chip, for the last two reasons you mentioned. One, we talked about on Horns247.com, I think all of us maybe have, have touched on this at some point, the amount of missed tackles that B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson forced last year. The number was 104 for Bijan and 46 for Roshan. The 104 was the most amongst FBS football, and then you obviously attack in uh, Roshan's 46 especially with this offensive line coming together, I guess the way we'll phrase it, even though that sounds weird to say, given the uh, amount of, you know, veterans and guys have played together. It sounds weird to almost say coming together, but kind of, you know, finding its stride. I think maybe we'll say that, right? I asked Jonathan Brooks, I said, how important is it that you make that first guy miss? And he said, it is important as a running back, right? You know, you just, you can't expect, you know, your offensive line to consistently give you, you know, a clean, rushing lane each time you're gonna have to make a guy miss those are the things that turn you know those zero yard one yard runs into three yard runs those three yard runs into five yard runs and so on and so forth right and jb has shown that ability especially coming off the last game so i do think it maybe if he hadn't have had that type of performance you'd say it's a question mark but also given cedric baxter's foot as you talked about that's not it's not a shoulder it's not a you know a, a, a wrist that's a foot uh I, let's take it easy so that in conjunction with the fact that, quite frankly, JB you know, has earned it. Let's go with take it, Chip. Okay. All right, Eric. Take it or leave it. Steve Sarkeesian should expand his wide receiver rotation. I was really torn on this one, Chip, but I'm going to leave it. I do think when you take a look at what the offense has been, right? And I, again, I wrote about this on Monday. Historically, Steve Sarkeesian, as you know, you know this chip, has run a very tight receiver rotation. You know, he's, he's got maybe four guys total, kind of hard for that fifth guy to really crack the rotation. In this offense, Jatavian Sanders is that fourth guy. And the variable, because I looked at the snaps, right? And I caught this, uh, I was sitting next to you at, right before presser, and I was looking at the snaps. And I said, Whoa, what caught me off guard is Gunnar Helm has played 103 snaps, Jordan Whittington's played 106. So that goes to show you right there who's accounting for the other snaps. It's going heavy with Gunnar Helm, him as a, as a blocking tight end, and also him uh, being out there in 11 personnel allows for Jatavian Sanders to be that fourth receiver. JT is probably as reliable as you know the guy who would be behind him in terms of Isaiah Nayor and Jonte Cook. So uh, I'm leaving that one, Chip. What says you? Okay, yeah. And you mean the 12 personnel with the two tight ends? 
Yeah, the, the, the 12 personnel with two tight ends, and then when they go 11 with Helm on, and you allow um, JT to go on the slot, yes. Gotcha. Okay. You know what? I'm going to uh, I'm going to take this, and here's why. Um, Steve Sarkeesian is he's kind of a curmudgeon when and I, and listen before everyone goes nuts. I'm not saying to to take um, you know Ad Mitchell or Xavier Worthy off the field for an extended period of time, but for a you know a rep here, a rep there, or Jordan Whittington off the field for a rep here, a rep there, and let's see what some of these other receivers have got. I mean, Casey Kane was on the field a ton last year. Yes. He had a couple drops, including a huge one against Iowa state. Um, but you know, he had a good camp. Isaiah Nair, we heard had a good camp. Um, we haven't seen these guys and John cook got on the field. He dropped the ball. And some of this, some of these drops may be coming because they know, Man, I, I got one chance here, or I'm never going to see the field again. We talked about Isaiah Nair dropping a ball in garbage time against Rice. Like he caught a third down pass. He caught a 14 yard pass on third and nine uh, from Malik Murphy against Rice. We haven't seen him. Uh, I just want to see what these guys can do because they th- these are talented dudes. And especially early in the season, um, look, we're probably not going to see it. We're probably not because um, if you're not if you're not seeing it in the non-conference, uh, I don't know. And plus, Star- Steve Sarkeesian is, and we talked about this. Tariq Milton last year caught some big passes, like against Texas Tech. He caught a big pass to get them down the field to help set up the tying field goal to send it into overtime. We didn't see Tariq Milton again. I mean, it was, it's interesting with Steve Sarkeesian. He locks in on his guys and he wants rhythm and everybody to be on the same page. It's so funny because Tom Herman would rotate receivers willy nilly. Like it'd be third down in a critical game situation late. And, Colin Johnson and Devin Duvernay be over on the sideline and you have like scrubs in the game. You're going, what is going on here? Who is in charge of the receiver rotation? So I know a lot of people are like, I trust Chris Jackson. I trust Sarkis. I get it. Those guys know what they're doing, but sounds like some other guys have been working really hard. They're talented. I'd just like to see them. Maybe that's just out of my own personal curiosity, but. All right, take it or leave it, number three, Eric. Take it or leave it. As you talked about earlier in this podcast, Chip, the uh, 3-8 defense that Wyoming ran caused some problems. So are other teams going to use the 3-8 cloud defense against Texas after seeing how well it worked for the Cowboys? I mean, Craig Bull, Wyoming, defensive-minded guy. So now I'm looking at the schedule for defensive-minded head coaches who might have the veterans – to, to pull this off. I don't know that Baylor fits that description, but we know we're going to see it from Iowa state who knows what we're going to see from Mike Gundy in Oklahoma state. He fired Derek Mason. He's got new guy, you know, he's got new uh, coaches on that defensive staff, but I think you experiment with it. I think you, I mean, everybody has the rush three drop eight to some degree it's how much do you want to use it I I think we do see teams use it more so I'm gonna I'm gonna take this because when you were struggled against it last year um and I think defenses are gonna test him and Steve Sarkeesian until they see how they are able to pick it apart what do you say Eric Chip I was really torn on this right because you made an excellent point it's not as if you don't see a lot of teams have some sort of package where they rush three and drop eight. Right. And you know, the, the, the thing I was toying around in my head is that, that, that cloud, right. It's not, if you're not familiar kind of having the the secondary guys around the box area, that could be a bit awkward, but I mean, at the same point in time, it's not terribly difficult to get the safeties 
who most safeties nowadays play in the box as is to kind of pick that up. Right. So I was really torn at the end of the day. I'm going to take it because I do think it doesn't have to be the base package, right? It doesn't have to be 50% of your defense, but if you can get Texas in some third and longs, or maybe you just want to throw some out them on first down, right? Let's say, let's say chip, the three, eight cloud is analogous to like, your dime package, right? You know, something that 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 you're you're playing 15-ish percent of the time, 20% depending on the opponent. That's doable. So in that sense, I do think you'll take it, right? Teams, especially in conference play, they're gonna look for some sort of an edge. And while it may not be natural for them to just install it per se, right? If you've got familiarity with the opponent and you know those players well then at least you know how your pieces kind of match up in the chess in, in, in the you know the 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 chess match back and forth right so i am with you i'm taking it all right there you have it kids um thank you all so much for listening to another episode of the flagship podcast for eric henry i am chip brown until next time we'll see you over at horns247.com make sure you get over there for our game predictions for texas versus baylor and don't forget to look for our, our post-game recap of Texas versus Baylor. Um, stay safe and keep the faith. <laughs>